Playing golf is a passion and it can become a profession. How does an amateur player turn professional? What are your chances at becoming a pro golf player, say one of the top 100 in the world? Andre Bossert tells us about his own story as a professional golfer. Hi, Laura. Listen, thank you for the interview. It's always uh, exciting to speak about, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, what I've done in my life and, uh, and, and the passion I have uh, as a golfer. And yes, it's a little bit unusual being a professional golfer, professional sportsman. And I guess it all started because my parents played golf. They immigrated from uh, Switzerland to South Africa. So I have Swiss blood, but I have South African culture and upbringing. And uh, yeah, I grew up in South Africa. My parents played golf. And that is why I got into golf. Did they take you to, uh, to the golf courts when they were going to play? I think they started just before I was born. So I remember being in a cot and listening to, to golf balls being hit when I was a baby. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, but funny enough, I never, I, I loved sports. I was lucky enough to be quite gifted uh, at, at sport. I think it came easy to me. And I played, I don't know if you know the South African system, but it's a lot like the British system where besides the academic sport's quite important. And I played every sport. Tennis was my, my uh, individual sport. I played rugby and cricket as team sports. I played soccer. I did some swimming. I did athletics. And even though I played golf with my parents maybe once a week, I wasn't really interested in golf until I turned 16. What took you to, what, what made you decide um, to start playing seriously golf at the age of 16? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, tennis was my game. And at 15, I remember I had to get up at, I don't know, somewhere at five o'clock. We had practice from 5.30 to 7.30. Uh, I was in this region. And one day I said, I'm sick of tennis. I remember the coach making me run a lot. And I, I, I had to bring up and, uh, and, and I just said to myself, this tennis is on the same court every time and I'm getting bored with it. And I stopped tennis from one day to the next when I was 16. And I switched to golf. I had a lot of friends that were getting into golf. And I said, okay, I now want to start playing competitively. So uh, maybe just getting upset with tennis was a uh, was was sort of a catalyst for me to 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 take golf a bit more seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and you already knew how to play golf, so it was sort of like an an easy switch for you. Exactly. I was probably about a you know fourteen handicap um, and played once a week with my parents. We also. At my home golf course, we had a golf tournament called the PGA, South African PGA Championship, which was one of the biggest events in the world. And we had the best players in the world that came to play. So that was another motivation. I started watching these players and we're talking about all the greats. Jack Nicklaus, who is the best player that ever lived, came to play. So all the greats at the time were playing while I was a kid. And that was another big motivation. For me to watch these great players, yeah. Were you studying at the same time as you were training to become a professional golf player? Well, that was the next step. Basically, in South Africa, 
I had to do military service at that time, being born South African and a dual citizen. I had no choice. And in South Africa, we had to do two years of military training. And that's when I became a good golfer. Luckily, in the military, and I was already a, a, not a national player. I was a regional player. I played for my province, as we call it in South Africa. So being a sportsman going into the military, you had certain advantages. And the one thing was they set me up with a cushy job after my basic training. And my, uh, my major said to me, listen, you can play any tournament you want to, and I will give you off. So basically, I entered every tournament South Africa had for a year and a half. <laughs> and I just played golf. And, um, and that's when I became a good golfer. I really you know, started becoming a good golfer. And at the same time, I met a friend of mine who was going to America to study and play NCAA golf. And that started me thinking, all right, I can see I'm not a bad golfer. I'm still not good enough, I don't think. I want to study. So I took the route of going to America to study for four years at university and play what they call college golf. NCAA golf, which is the best amateur level golf in the world. And that's what I did. What did you study? I studied business. I've always been interested in business. Most of my, my father was self-employed. Most of my friends had parents that had their own businesses. Uh, so it's always interested me. So I thought, oh, I've got to study something. Let's do it. Let's make it business. <laughs> Although my <laughs> main thing was really, I'd already started thinking golf is what I wanted to do. That was my passion. So I went there to become a better golfer. While I was there, I really got interested in my studies. Um, so I finished with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. It's a four-year degree. And basically... Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, marketing was my main, uh, was my major, and I really enjoyed my studies, yeah, at the end. But the main thing was to go there and see how good I was. And uh, at university, I got to a level where I was, uh, they call it an All-American, which means you're one of the top guys. And that was my training ground to, to tell me I was good enough to turn pro. Is this one of the main ways to get into professional golf um, through university? Let's say if you're in the US, of course, that's, that's a big one. But would other people be able to find their way into golf with other resources or other means? There's a few different ways. When you look at the top players in the world, let's say the top two, three hundred, you've got probably two percent. Maybe no more than that, which are superstars. They were superstars when they were 16. So what happens to them? They don't waste their time. They basically turn professional when they're 18. In South Africa, we have some examples. Uh, I don't know if the listeners know about these golfers, but Ernie Els was one of these superstars. You know, there's a whole bunch of them that when they turned 18, that they turned professional. And if you're good enough, You can do that. But most of us who maybe aren't good enough or don't think we are all, in my case, I wanted to study as well, America has the best system. Like, for instance, in Switzerland, if you try to study and play golf, it's not going to work. America does 
the university in a way that it allows you to play sport and study. In, in Europe, I think uh, university is just too difficult for you to do both. And it's set up differently, which doesn't allow you to do it. So I think there's either you're so talented, you turn pro immediately, or uh, you go the route of either playing amateur golf in your country. Some Europeans have done that. They play three, four years as amateurs. And these days you have an amateur ranking. If you can get into the top 50 in the world, you're good enough to turn professional. So that's another gauge that you can do. So as an amateur, though, do you have to, are you actually paid when you're winning a tournament or do you have to, you know, self-finance your travels? No, that's living? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, no. That's why going to university like I did, I was financed by the university because in America, they give sportsmen bursaries because they want They want the best players at their university. Now, golf is a small sport, but you can imagine how much income football brings in and basketball brings in. So that's why they give these sportsmen these bursaries so they come to their universities. But if you stay amateur, let's say in Switzerland, the amateur federation actually doesn't pay you money, but they will send you to the best golf tournaments around Europe, and they will pay for that. So you'd still have to live off your parents, I guess. But basically, you would be entered into all the, the best amateur events if you're one of the best Swiss players. And they will pay for all the travel and all the rest of it and, and the coaching, etc. So um, most countries have a good setup like that for amateurs, yeah. Okay. Is that what happens mostly in Europe from amateur to professional? A lot of our Swiss players also go to America. Most of the, I'd say 50% of the players who are good go to America. That's interesting. Yeah. I really think that's the, we had now have a German that's just come onto the scene. Schmidt is his name. Very talented. Uh, he played at our home course in Switzerland uh, last year as an amateur. He won the event and he turned pro beginning of this year. And He basically did the three, four years after he finished school as an amateur, got good enough. I think he was number well, top five in the world as an amateur, I think. And because of that, he knew he was good enough to play. And this first year, he's hit the tour, tour by storm. He's one of the most talented uh, you know, Europeans that we have already. You know, we were talking about two, three percent, you know, uh, sort of like success rates. You know, the, we really see the, the point of the iceberg when we're looking at successful um, sports players, be it golf or, you know, football or tennis and so forth. But how many would you say are able to earn their living? It is such a small percent. I can't even explain to you how small it is. I mean, there are so many people who want to, uh, you know, want to play professional golf. The profession, I guess, is a touring professional. You can be a PGA professional, which means you, um, you teach. A PGA teaching professional, which means you are a teacher and you teach people to play golf. Or you coach. And then you have playing professionals, which are touring professionals like myself. Um, I also have, you know, the education as a teacher. But that came, that came later in my career. Um, but basically, as a player, 
Look, it's such a small percentage. I have obviously being one of the older, um, more successful Swiss players. A lot of people, parents come to me with talented kids. First question I ask is, oh, is your kid in the top 100 in the world? And they look at me as if I'm crazy. No, no, no. Is it like not even in the top 1,000? I said, well, why are you considering this? And to me, it's quite simple. The top, you know, the top 100 in the world have a chance. If you're in the top 10 amateurs in the world, you're going to make big money in golf. For instance, at university in, in America, this NCAA, if you're an All-American, which means you're the top 30 in the whole country that play NCAA golf, those guys will all make a living. You were talking about coaching. So you could actually be a decent enough player and then start coaching if you're very good at teaching, for instance, I guess. That's what happens to most of the players who don't make it. Some people stop completely and they go into another occupation if they can. And then others who still have the passion for the game and say, okay, I want to stick in the game. They become, uh, you, it's a three-year course and you become a teaching professional. And it's a lovely profession. I think it's fantastic. And, and then you can also become a coach, which would then mean that you don't only teach individual people, but you, you, you coach groups or you coach juniors or you coach national teams or you coach professionals. We professionals also need our coaches. Is there a third way or mainly these two? There's also club fitting. There's a lot, a lot of parts. A lot of my colleagues that were players became uh, managers of golf clubs. You know, it's a big business golf. So the business side of golf, that's where a lot land up as well. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, and what were your achievements, main achievements in your, in your career? I played for Switzerland for two years as an amateur. While I was in America, I played for uh, the Swiss team in the World Championship and the European Championship. And I was, all, you know, all of a sudden the best amateur in Switzerland and then uh, turned pro in 1990. And the big thing you need to do as a touring professional, you can, you can join a federation and say you're pro at any time. Anyone can do that. I think if you have a handicap of three or better. But then you have to get onto one of the lucrative tours. Now, basically, you have Europe and America are the two tours where you can play. They also have Asia. If you live in Asia, there's one in Japan. There's a smaller one in South Africa. I started on the Sunshine Tour, which was in South Africa. And in uh, 1992, December, I got my card for Europe. And then once you're on the European tour, that's where you make big money because that's where the big money is. I won my first big event three years later, 1995. And I played in some World Cups and uh, Dunhill Cups, which were, I guess, in those days, big achievements. When I was 45, I started preparing for when I turned 50. And uh, since I've you know, turned 50, I'm now 57, I've been playing on this uh, Legends Tour, which has also been you know, lucrative enough for me to make money as well. Is there a, an age limit to say, okay, uh, you can play only until you're, I don't know, 70 or uh, later? Is there an age limit? We have uh, a player, Phil Mickelson, 
who's one of the best in the world. He is now 51 years old, and he won last year, he won one of the four big events in the world. And now he started his Legends or Champions Tour, as they call it in America, career. So he'll be playing for another 10, 15 years. We have an amazing guy called Bernard Langer from Germany. He's the number one senior golfer in the world. He's 63 years old. He's still beating the 50-year-olds that come in for the rookies. <laughs> There's Gary Player from South Africa who has now stopped because he's in his 80s. But basically, if you love the game and you love competing, you can play at least until you're 70. And some even carry on past that. <laughs> and I bet that's going to be your case, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. I wish it, I could say that, but my body is 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 unfortunately not going to make it. But if I can get another, you know, two to three years, I'll really enjoy that. And then after that, I might consider the other things I've diversified into. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What is your advice to an aspiring golf player? I think you need to be realistic. I think, you, like I said to you, you've got to know where you stand. In Switzerland, because it's not such a big game, you get, you get good very quickly or you become one of the best very quickly. But that's not good enough to, to break it in the international scene. I think follow your dream. Go for it. I uh, would never want to stop anybody, but be realistic. If you want to do this, you've got to be 100% in it. Otherwise, you've got no chance. But basically, it's all about balance as well. And, and uh, I learned over the years that, you know, when you're young, you just want to play. You want to compete. You, you run from one part of the world to the other. You don't care about your body. You don't care about regeneration. And that's something I learned. And that's what ended my, uh, probably my, my chances of being better than I, than I am. That's why I can only recommend is make sure that, uh, that you stay fit if you want to get into this profession because it's, it is long, a long profession. If you want to play, you can play till you're 70 if you keep fit and strong. Great advice. Thank you, Andre, for sharing your story. And you, would you like to talk about your profession? Then write me at jobtalespodcast at gmail.com.